Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig with details. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant, I don't usually do this, but can you give us kind of a kitschy, retro commercial vibe real quick? Have you ever wanted to live the good life? As we record today, millions of people across America are taking aim at one of the hallmarks of the American dream, owning their first home. Keep on American dreaming, kids. It's a different world. People are trying to buy their uh, a home at least and in some cases their very first home which is a huge uh, wonderful and profound moment in life for many people but it seems again for many many people uh, that this goal becomes increasingly difficult and downright unobtainable with each passing year and as we're going to find in today's episode some allege this is not just a consequence of a tough economy it is, in fact, a conspiracy. And here, here are the facts. So buying a home, 
part of the American dream, right? All of us are actually friends on this show. So we hang out, we talk off air. I butt dialed Matt or face. FaceTime, but FaceTime, but dialed Matt this weekend. <laughs> it felt so bad because I was like, "No, Matt, you, I hate talking on the phone." And I was like, "Matt, thanks for answering." God, if I get but a phone call from Ben, I would be, I'd be concerned. It was a, it's a dexterous butt you got there, Ben. <laughs> I, don't I did know how use the FaceTimed. phrase "agile butt cheeks" on the text. Turns out Ben's butt has opposable thumbs. <laughs> ah, the old butt thumbs. But this is uh, this is something that we had talked about in a previous episode. The fact that many people across every demographic, except for economic, are having a difficult time uh, buying buying a home, even if they're uh, buying a second or a third home, or it's you know it's not their first rodeo. Uh, our collective heart goes out to a lot of first time home buyers because it's rough in those streets right now, and and there's a thing. I think will be amusing to all our international listeners, gang. There's this thing called the American dream. And I was getting so upset diving into this research. Um, we've been working on this one for a while because uh, Matt, you and you, Noel, uh, recently started getting back in the game. Noel, you bought a house. Matt, you're working on some stuff too. And this... Uh, I, I got so incensed about this that I was like, we have to find the etymology of the American dream. Who told these people all this stuff? And we found it. Yeah. I mean, you know, you think about it as like owning a home, having a wife and 2.5 kids. I always wonder about that 0.5. I guess that's the dog. Uh, but most people well, living uh, in the U.S. World War II economic average. 100%. Yeah, and we know a lot of that stuff came from like Sears catalogs and just like selling this idea of the American dream um, in terms of like the images of, you know, happiness and prosperity. And a lot of that was a backlash to, you know, the uh, the Great Depression and like horrible conditions and, and, you know, just absolutely having to scrap for everything. So it was kind of this like um, uh, ideological kind of like, you know, glossy image that is really just that. But most people living in the U.S. today do kind of understand this concept that I'm describing, the American dream. Uh, it was, in fact, coined as a phrase by James Truslow Adams, who is a historian and writer um, of the 1931 book Epic of America, where he referred to the American dream as the dream of a land in which life should be better and richer and fuller for everyone with opportunity for each according to ability or achievement. I just want to point out the key word there, I think, is should. Right. right? Uh, in which life should be better. Yeah, and also based on achievement or ability, which are also kind of um, subjective at times, right? Yeah, but meritocracy, it's its a noble idea. Uh, the U.S. is better than many other civilizations at it, but uh, I wouldn't describe the current U.S. as a meritocracy in full, and it would be naive or intentionally deceitful to pretend that it is. Uh, today, I mean, you know, the U.S. has this individualism thing. The U.S. has a lot of very self-centered people, so most people – 
uh, aren't aware of that etymology, right? For all folks, it should be better and richer and fuller. Instead, most most people in the U.S. take it to mean um, those kind of microeconomic goals that are personally macro for the individual. What does narcissism have to do with me, says the narcissist? Well, uh, for that, that's why the American dream means successfully starting a business, uh, embarking upon a career, starting a family, creating a legacy, and perhaps most importantly, going back to that World War, post-World War II economic boom stuff, it means owning your own home. As they said in the fantastic adaptation, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, you ain't no kind of man if you don't own land. And these days, what's funny for a lot of folks here, I think, uh, if you are not from the U.S. and you've heard about the American dream, then you might not know how most residents of the U.S. treat it today. It's a cynical thing. It is brought up as an idea that either never was true or in any case is no longer true today. As we record, more than four in five people in this country define the American dream as financial security. That's it for themselves and their family. And more than half, so four out of five, say it's just about the money, and more than half think that same dream is unobtainable. Yep. So uh, having enough money, <laughs> when we're talking about security, right? That means not living paycheck to paycheck. That means um, saving money and being able to invest that money in your family or yourself, right? And right now, like, it's pretty bad right now, but it's, we have to look backwards before we look at what's happening right now, I think. So if we go back to the 1960s, uh, let's say let's say 1960 itself, the median home value in the United States, because it takes money to buy homes. Right. Uh, the median home value in the U.S. was eleven thousand nine hundred dollars. You heard that correct. Eleven thousand nine hundred dollars in nineteen sixty dollars. Wait, were, were these like those ones that build it yourself ones you get from the Sears catalog or no? Those no, those were cheaper. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you said $1960. That's the equivalent still, it's very low, of $98,000 in 2022. Uh still, if you could find uh like a nice single family, let's say three bedroom, two bathroom or maybe even one and a half bathroom house for that much money in the US right now, you're doing great. Uh Especially if, you know, there's a great school there and blah, 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 all the other factors. Or it's close enough to a city center or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> seriously. But you have to imagine that made sense because the cost of living in general was lower just across the board, any way you wanted to measure it. And people made less money overall, at least from a median standpoint. Right. And also needed less money because the the great uh, Ponzi scheme of capitalism hadn't reached its its current iteration. I think I, I think it's so fascinating. Okay, so the American dream starts off originally. The guy who makes up the phrase is like, "This should be a country where everybody can do better if they are good." if they try. And then it became along the way, partially out of necessity, people saying, okay, what that really means is I need to make sure my budget's straight. 
And then uh, for a while, you were able to get your budget straight. This is what what you're breaking down, Matt, is the reason why people from older generations were able to go straight from high school to a lifelong career and often with more than enough opportunity to save some cash, to buy those cars, to send those kids to college, to take vacations. You know what I mean? Let's let's go uh, take two weeks off and show the kids the Grand Canyon, that sort of stuff. Of course, this opportunity was not equally distributed. Uh, multiple groups never, have never, and possibly will never see the real benefit of the supposed American dream. But now, more than ever, shout out Fox News, it seems that more and more people aren't able to make that dream a reality. And there, and you know, by and large, a lot of these people are folks who were raised with every reasonable expectation to believe that reality was attainable. And if if you look over the decades, like if you get into the numbers, median home prices from 1960 to now have increased 121%. Like that's that could be great, right? If you own a home, my goodness, uh, my house is worth a lot more. If I have a 1960 home and I bought it in 1960, woo, good for me. I can sell that sucker. But uh, here's the problem. Income has not risen in the same way. Median income in the U.S. has only risen 29%. So there's, you know, uh, almost 100% difference there in the cost of a home versus how much money the average person makes. Yeah, I mean, I think all this points to the the fact that they they don't call it the American reality; they they call it the American dream, and dreams don't come true for everybody, uh, especially these days. I mean, that's insane. It, it almost like implies a calculated move to a climate where owning a home isn't for everybody. In fact, maybe it's only for the elitist of the elite in terms of like individuals, and then beyond there, who's it for? <laughs> That's the question. Like, yeah. yeah, well said. I like to call it neo-feudalism, which is ultimately, I wish more uh, media outlets would explore that concept and that evolution or uh, regression. But so that's that's what happened. And also, you know, again, we always have to point out nothing occurs in a vacuum. There are many, many other factors, right? The death of manufacturing, the death of trades, these removed a lot of those jobs that would have supported this uh, American dream, the way it's currently phrased. And those those opportunities disappeared at the same time property became worth more while the dollar became worth less in average power. And we want to hear your anecdotes, folks. As we go through this, don't hesitate to pull up uh, the email, shoot a line to conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Don't hesitate to post on social media or reach out to us because you're part of this story. And if you don't live in the U.S., it's going to affect you too, whether now or down the line. Uh, unfortunately, for our U.S.-based conspiracy realist, it is it is a statistical certitude that you or someone you know has tried to buy a home in the past few years, only to find it much more of a struggle than it was for 
previous generations. And this is not because people are fundamentally any different than people were a few decades ago. People aren't lazy. People are not dumb. People are not necessarily bad with money. It's just the game is getting harder. The skill level's going up and the opportunity cost is rising as well. The odds are stacked against individuals and families buying homes, and the statistics show there's something more than avocado toast at play. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Matt, I feel like, you're, I feel like we're in church right now. I just saw that. <laughs> the avocado toast. It's the great avocado toast invasion of many cities. And we're going to get into that. Like what happens when people with lots and lots of money move from areas of the planet, really, to other areas that are growing, right? It's a new area of opportunity, a new region that's growing. What happens when those really rich people come in, buy the houses that, you know, could be could be bought by people who don't have that money? Well, what happens historically? I mean, let's look at like the great move westward, you know? I mean, it's like there wasn't anybody there. It was just the people that were there didn't have the means that the people that came there, you know, did for the large part who could afford to like, you know, put down stakes and like build banks and towns and all of that stuff. When the, you know, people that were there before were, you know, living off the land and, and were like indigenous people and they were essentially trundled off and treated like trash. Um, and then, you know, there were some reparations, weak reparations made over time and all of that. But I mean, it's a tale as old as, as the history of this country. Of, of, of people with more moving into areas of, of opportunity, quote unquote, where the people that are already there have less and can't fight City Hall, can't fight the conquering force. Yeah. Take him to church, no. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's upsetting. Take him to church. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm working like a blog in the blood of a blow. Yes. What a name. What a name for a guy. Uh, anywho, yeah. But this, this is, I mean, these are important these are important things. And for anyone who's bored one day, if you ever catch us hanging out at our local favorite chicken wing spot, again, best chicken wings in Atlanta. Um, Long can, may ye reign. Uh, <laughs> well, that's going to figure uh, into this conversation yeah, in a bit, too. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You can, that's where I'm going. You can, uh, if you ever catch me there, you can ask me about how to map out the. Um, the growth and the change of cities, U.S. cities now are going to, I, I imagine if this trend is real, they are going to follow what I see as the uh, Western and Central European model. And uh, it's ah, it's a story for another day. But yeah, shout out the local. Um, we blew up the spot many years ago now. And, uh, and what you're alluding to, Matt. And what you're alluding to, Noel, is the fact that the local is not going to be around for too, too much longer. That whole street got bought up, that's true, by not a person, but a corporation. Uh, you'll see what we're talking about in a second. So here's here are the statistics. We're not even to the conspiracies yet. These are all facts. Home prices, right, accelerated again 121% uh, from 1960 to like 2021. Uh, if you look over just the past year, home prices have again accelerated. They went up 20% in one year. Mortgage in rates a year. In a year. And it's bizarre because I think we all 
when the pandemic hit, those of us who are lucky enough to to continue to work and, and not have to take a pay cut or anything like that, like, you know, us, because um, podcasting, you know, continued on strong. I think there was something in the back of our minds that were like, well, maybe this is an opportunity where because of not to capitalize on anybody's misfortune, but because so many people were out of work, then maybe there would be uh, it would be an easier time to buy a home. Maybe people were would be downsizing or or moving, uh, you know, having to sell or who knows, maybe foreclosed or God forbid. But it was like the exact opposite effect. Oh yeah, I was literally telling you guys that, and I felt bad. I was going, uh, we were hanging out one day, and I was saying, "No, Matt, I hate to." Uh, I don't like to think I'm profiting off human misery, but this might be the time where I buy a house. And I was completely wrong. I'm not above admitting we all that. Yeah. Housing prices skyrocketed. And um, and I never had to confront that ethical issue about human misery. Yeah, no joke. And I still don't fully understand why. Is it because of people that were cooped up wanting to, like, upsize it just didn't seem like there was any expendable income to be had, except for in very specific sectors. Uh, but all of a sudden, I, there was this sense of like, oh, God, we're, we're being cooped up. We need to get a bigger house or, or move or something. I, I don't understand. It's still confusing to me. I have a theory, my friend, and we'll get to it at the end of today's show. Uh, I can't prove it just quite yet. But anyhow, yeah, at the same time, housing prices are skyrocketing. 20%. As you said, Matt, just over the span of a year, mortgage rates are also rising faster over the past three months, as we record, than they have in decades. And add to that, to exacerbate the crisis, uh, there's a record low availability of straight-up houses for sale. Part of that is that constructing houses became more expensive. Part of that is people are holding on until the right Entity shows up with a suitcase of cash and waves the inspection. But right now, even if none of those factors were true, imagine buying a home. Like you said, Matt, a three-bedroom, two-bathroom, one-and-a-half-bathroom. Imagine buying that for just $98,000. That can happen in some parts of the U.S., but for the majority of the human population in the United States— you're living in densely packed urban areas and suburbs adjacent to cities. And if you saw that figure now, certainly if you saw it in Atlanta, which is sadly one of the stars of our show today, you would see you you would see that number. You know, you pull it up on Zillow or Redfin and you you examine the photos and you would think, what's wrong with it? Asbestos lead? Are there foundation problems? You would know it's not haunted because in today's market, that would just raise the price. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like it's true. It's so sad and so true. But again, nothing happens in a vacuum. Housing prices are skyrocketing to all, due to many of these factors in, in sort of this really, Paul edit me here, in this really smoothie that the average person is having a tougher and tougher time uh, drinking. And now- there's one last factor I want to add. As you're hearing this, if you're hearing this the week it comes out, you are in the midst of the largest generation ever in all of American history entering the market trying to buy their first home. So there's more demand than at any previous time, and there's lower supply than there has been for a long time. But here's the kicker. You'll hear that a great many of the people who are buying up homes today aren't actually people at all. According to the critics, that's a huge part of the problem. 
What are we talking about? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsors. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. All right, what's the gist? Guys, you, you, we all know this. Paul, you know this. You've heard the story. What's the story people are talking about when critics say folks buying up homes actually aren't folks at all? It's the concept that it isn't just a, a set of folks, maybe. Maybe one, maybe about four, or as we said, four and a half. Um, it's companies. It's holding Companies, hedge funds, uh, Wall Street investors, even pension funds 
that are supposedly buying up a ton of the the single family houses that are on the market and doing other stuff with them not not just buying it up and like flipping it the way you would if you were you know the these really popular reality tv shows where it's a couple or something and they buy a house and they make it look real fancy like and then they sell it back for a bunch more money and they make a profit and then they just keep doing it no, these these places are supposedly just buying up houses, maybe even entire neighborhoods or every house that becomes available in a certain area. And then instead of selling them, turning them into rental properties, rental properties that are the the actual price of rent is way more expensive than it was before that those big companies came through and bought all the houses. I'd be interested in seeing a, a plot uh, over time of rent prices, you know, in the in the Atlanta area. <laughs> I know even since I've been living here, you know, they, they have there's an there's an allowable amount. It's not like we exactly have rent control, which is a concept in like in like New York, for example, where you know if you've been living in a place for a certain amount of time, they can only raise the rent so much or whatever. And there's something along those lines here. But I know that every, you know, whenever I've, I rented from a person for a long time, um, and he was always very, very reasonable with what he would raise the rent every year. But then I recently rented from one of these companies that we're talking about, a company called Excalibur Homes, and they raised it the maximum they possibly could every, you know, every time the renewal came up. And it was very clearly that it's a home that was probably in what would be considered a transitional neighborhood or an area where maybe the, the the land is even worth more than the house and minimal cosmetic stuff to flip it to the next tenant, you know, paint jobs that would just flake off, you know, over time and, you know, very kind of shoddy workmanship. Anytime I wanted to get something done, they'd bring in, you know, the lowest bidder who would come in and do the job with stuff from Home Depot and uh, only certain things. You had to submit everything through a portal on the Internet and um, just very clear that they're going to rent this thing until it falls into the ground and then they're going to bulldoze it and sell it to some other developer that wants to actually build something on it. Now, that is one that is one case, right? That is one example of something that has happened. But what we've seen is that there's an accusation that this is just the new normal. This is the uh, what is happening across the board, right? And as in addition to just that practice of buying up the homes, turning them into rental properties, the accusation is that this process is to blame for an actual family, actual humans being unable to find a house on the market to purchase. Dooming them to the rent trap. Yeah. And, you know, I don't share too much of my uh, private life uh, here on the air, but, uh, folks, <laughs> there's some firsthand knowledge here. Updates later, maybe. But that's the question. And you pose it so well, Matt. Is there any truth to these claims? Well, experts, self-appointed or otherwise, don't seem in agreement. This story first caught the general public spotlight back in 2021. So last year, as we record this, thanks in large part to an article run in the Wall Street Journal, which announced uh, the story of an investment firm that won a bidding war to purchase not a house, but an entire neighborhood of single-family homes in a place called Conroe, Texas. Almost immediately, there was this huge backlash, and there's an argument that continues today. Um, to sum it up, I, I think we should look at a great New York Times article by Sophie Kasakov in uh, April of 2022. And 
they, they write it this way. They say there's an, quote, increasing influence of real estate investors buying up houses, especially at the lower end of the market, turning them into rental properties. Now, again, the accusation, as you put it, Matt, the, uh, the conspiracy of conspiracy there is, is the idea that because of the nature of homes being purchased, the people who would ordinarily purchase these homes, the actual human beings, are left with no recourse other than to continue um, paying a landlord, corporate or otherwise, just helping that person pay their own mortgage or property taxes with a little bit of a vig on the side. And there does, that's the thing, there is a definite strategy to call this uncoordinated uh, or non-strategic is misleading. And if anybody says that, they're lying to themselves or to you. Uh, another pull from the New York Times article, which I thoroughly enjoyed, is this about the targeting. More than 93% of homes purchased by corporations as of May of 2021 were bought for under $300,000. And many of them were in predominantly black neighborhoods or predominantly low-income neighborhoods. But this is like, okay, so you hear this, and this sounds alarmist, right? Or this sounds very, very dangerous. Uh, we, we as readers love a simple story. Give me a bad guy, right? Give me a face. That's why celebrity news uh, gets so much more attention than actual issues that matter to the world. Uh, but if you look at the numbers, you see something interesting. I didn't know this, and I actually thought this, num this number still feels a little low to me, but right now the United States has around 140 million housing units. And that's a, it sounds low until you realize that is such an umbrella term. It means everything from mansions and opulent palaces to micro apartments, you know, where it's like a, a, a shoebox with a bed that is a Murphy bed and the toilet's underneath that. And you pay five grand because you're in San Francisco or whatever. So it includes every place where people live, about 140 million of those. And The Atlantic has an excellent article um, that I don't agree with, to be honest. I think it's very well written. And I looked into the statistics they pull and those check out. I checked their sources. Is that the one when Wall Street is your landlord? No, no, this, oh, okay, is, okay, this okay. is the one in opposition to that, but we did okay, okay. check out both of those. Uh, we'll reference that one as well because I think that's okay. important too. That's a banger. But uh, the this article in The Atlantic says that it's kind of in defense of BlackRock, and you'll see why we're bringing up BlackRock. BlackRock owns stake in a company called Invitation Homes. And this is very confusing. They're playing the... Uh, the academy, 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 XE <laughs> game. So, all right. Of those 140 million household units, about 80 million are standalone single family homes. You know, your three bedroom, two bathroom place. And of those 80 million, about 15 million are for rent. And we're just narrowing the scope, right? We're zooming in from a wide view. So of those 15 million single-family rentals, what we could call banks or shadow banks or institutional investors 
only own about 300,000 right now, as of now. And most of the rest of that, uh, those 15 million are currently owned by what you would call individual landlords. So zoom in a little closer of those 300,000 homes as of June 2021, Invitation Homes, this company, owned 80,000. That number is growing today. Yeah, and that's a year where how the houses grew in worth by 20%, right? Mm-hmm. So like the, yes. the activities of these companies with injections, you have to imagine those numbers, that 300,000 number has likely grown quite a bit over that year of record. Oh my God, there's more profit in these houses. Let's go. <laughs> right. And, and if you're familiar with these allegations of conspiracy, you've probably heard those allegations referring to that company we just mentioned, BlackRock. What is BlackRock? All right. BlackRock is based in New York. It comes about in the 80s. It is currently the world's largest asset manager. They are in charge of making money, make more money. So right now, as of January 2022, BlackRock manages around $10 trillion worth of assets. This is also part of the reason, by the way, it's been called the world's largest shadow bank. And not just by, you know, not not just by folks like you and me and folks like people listening today, but by outfits like The Economist, which you don't think of really as a as some sort of fringe anti-capitalistic uh, <laughs> periodical. Anyway, uh, there's another thing here that's really interesting, just to straighten this out for everybody. You've probably read a lot of reports that talk about BlackRock as being the actual invitation homes. BlackRock isn't really. BlackRock invested in Invitation Homes, but Invitation Homes has spun out from another company, Blackstone. So there are two, there are two different no. companies. No. One is BlackRock, no. one is Blackstone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you. These are, these are oh. like subsidiaries of one another? They're unrelated. That's... <laughs> I mean, BlackRock has invested in Invitation Homes, which was spun off from Blackstone. I hope there's, I, I, you know, at the top, I, I, I can't be alone thinking this. I've just always sort of fancied the idea that there really is a cabal, but it's not a secret society. They don't have fun rituals or, you know, goat-themed pentagrams and pentacles and stuff. They're just like a group of, you know, 12 to 20 people who eventually over time realize that they're all on this interlocking Venn diagram of boards and corporations. And then they had a meeting, you know? Totally. No, that's, that's the secret behind all secret societies. I think for the most part is it's just, they happen organically once you reach a certain echelon of success in business. And then you figure out how to, I mean, of course, completely above board, uh, benefit one another with your activities and your choices and your donations and, uh, all of that stuff. Just hedge fund primary stakeholders. They're like, yep, that's it. That's me. Hey, guys, what's going on today at the golf course? HFPS. <laughs> so so if you look at this, jokes about cabals and, and uncreative name choices aside, it looks like by the numbers, these institutions that have been demonized clearly in media 
they actually are buying up a relatively small piece of the pie for now. Because while that number might seem small in comparison, it's huge in areas targeted by these companies. Again, there is a strategy at play here. You can call it a conspiracy. You can call it a market plan. You can call it just good old-fashioned investment, right? But we need to understand how it works. And to understand how it works, really, uh, I don't know how far we want to go back in today's episode. But for the sake of time, let's... <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. So 07 and then the housing crash, right? And then this leads to the foreclosure epidemic, you could call it, in 2010. Uncle Sam, aka the feds, uh, panic. And they realize hundreds of thousands of families who otherwise were doing fine before this happened, they are going to lose their homes. They went from doing fine and being able to pay their bills on time and, you know, still chase that American dream to getting physically kicked out of their houses, which for many of these families were the only equity they had. And so the Fed starts saying, look, entire neighborhoods are getting boarded up, right? This is bigger than one house or one sob story. We might need to intervene. The housing market continues to crash. And they say, if this continues, prices are going to keep dropping for people or institutions that already own property, right? You know homeowners during this time, and they're saying, ah, the value of my home is tanking. I'm worried. And the feds are worried because if they don't keep these people happy and spending money and investing and keeping the positive feedback loop going, then it could endanger the economic recovery they're banking on. Poor choice of words. But there weren't a lot of people who were ready to buy homes the past few years had been hard. You know what I mean? And you can even look back now and say, yeah, that was that was a rough time. Mortgages were also pretty difficult to get. So we have to we have to address something because of everything you're saying here, Ben. The way you gather wealth, man, a lot of people know this. You probably know this, but you, we have to state it. The way you generate wealth over time by owning a home, even if you owe a bank just a ton of money, and you don't, you know, you own it on paper, but you're paying monthly into a mortgage, which is just a loan from a bank. The way you generate money is by having a stake in that home, more and more money invested into that home, that when it's time for you to turn around and sell it or borrow more money based on how much uh, equity you have in that house, uh, you can get more things. You can grow yourself, right? And at this point in the in the past, when that crash happened, those companies were worried about how much their property is worth, but each individual family has to worry about how much their property is worth because it may mean, well, there's no way we can sell this property for a profit now. We'll have to, we'll just have to pay the bank the rest of this mortgage because we're not going to have the money even if we sell the house. I mean, it's just a terrible situation. With an individual family, it's like you got all your eggs in that one basket with a giant corporation. You're diversified. You know, you've got like, a, you know, yeah, of course, a, a giant housing crash across the board is not good for them either. But at the very least, they're, it's not like they're on the street, you know. Um, and, and, and to your point about generating wealth uh, by owning houses, that's one way people can get into the landlord bit game. You know, you buy one house. Once you have that note that you're carrying, it gives you a lot more borrowing power. 
to, to buy another house. And then you, you parlay that into some sort of rental property and create passive income. And then you, you flip that one into, or not flip it, like sell it, but you, you know, parlay that into a third one. I've got a friend who owns like six or seven rental houses here in Atlanta. And he's a, he's what you'd call a, a benevolent landlord. Like he does this to compete to a degree with these companies that we're talking about that, that just absolutely gouge rental prices and, and cause problems across the board for anyone that's trying to, to buy a house. Yeah, yeah. And, and you've mentioned this person before, and this is, you know, they're not the only one out there. We're not saying all landlords are bad. Most people, of course, the vast majority think of themselves as, quote unquote, the good guys, and they're trying to do things that they think are decent, right? Most people are not villains and don't see themselves as such. And neither did the federal government in 2012 when it did intervene and launched a pilot program meant to allow private investors a way to easily buy homes that have been foreclosed. They buy, they were buying them, and they could buy them in bulk, by the way, from Fannie Mae. So they're buying them straight from the government via Fannie Mae. And then these new owners, here, the idea was always that these new owners would rent out these homes and they would create more housing in areas that had been absolutely trampled by foreclosures. So you can see how it feels like an emergency measure and you can see how there's a greater good at play. And I love this line, um, you know, Shout out to Meg Burns, who was interviewed in this Atlanta, another Atlantic article, the one you mentioned earlier, Matt, by Alana Samuels. Uh, Meg Burns doesn't really try to put uh, any sugar coating on the medicine here. Uh, she was former senior associate director of the Office of Housing and Regulatory Policy. And in an interview, she just said, we were trying to influence demand. She's just being plain about it. We were trying to put our thumbs on the scale. We needed to make these things more attractive and we went to investors and for a while the plan seemed successful between what just six years 2011 to 2017 some of the world's largest financial entities the hedge funds the private equity groups you know what i mean the suits uh those cats fat or otherwise spent a combined 36 billion dollars buying more than 200,000 homes and jesus I know, right? It's good work if you can get it. Uh, and meanwhile, I, I know I say this too much, but I can't get away with a late fee at the library. Seriously? Miss <laughs> Fairchild, you're going to sweat me on this? Whatever. Uh, she I, doesn't listen to the show. She's a real stickler, Ben. You really are. I, mean, I know. I respect. Uh, order must exist. I, I just have to reiterate the, the concept of why this functions. The concept of why that worked from 2011 to 2017, because the people who were foreclosed on, the people who you know may need to live to live in that area for work or whatever it is, they don't have the money to pay that big mortgage and the costs of owning a home like that. But they may be able to pay a little bit less every month if it's just a rent that they're paying, right? If they if you can reduce that cost down just enough by having it serve as a rental property rather than, you know, the amount of money you would need to make a down payment on a home or whatever you would take to, you know, if you, let's say you own three homes, you can't pay money for three of those homes, but you could rent one and you'd be okay. <laughs> you could get by, but you wouldn't be able to generate the wealth you would need to buy a home. Right. Exactly. And this is, you, you know, to, to paint this out fully, um, 
we're, we're going to tell you a little bit about what's going on in Atlanta. Atlanta, where this podcast is based, full disclosure, is an epicenter of this strategy and this practice. Uh, here in this fair metropolis, for example, uh, investors made up nearly 60% of home purchases in, uh, in a zip code in South Fulton, 30349 if you want to look it up. And, and a little bit before that, they bought, investors overall bought 90% of the homes in another Atlanta zip code. It's a real thing. It's happening. And today, if you travel down to Atlanta and you want to, you want to pick up a house, you're going to find that more than 27,000 single-family homes in Metro Atlanta alone are owned by just four entities, just four companies, Invitation Homes, American Homes for Rent, number four, because they, they take the savings on the ink, I imagine, and pass it down to you, Tricone Residential, and then something named Front Yard Residential. And Matt, you were pointing out off-air uh, that not all of these things – are they're they're kind of like doing business as, but they have their own masters. Yeah, they all have issues. I was reading another article earlier from the New York Post um, by Larry Getlin. It's posted in 2020, so years ago, and it was based off of a lot of the reporting was based on a book titled "Underwater: How Our American Dream of Home Ownership Became a Nightmare" by Ryan December, and uh, it was pointing out several of these companies. Uh, specifically American Homes for Rent, which, quote, was founded by billionaire self-storage magnate B. Wayne Hughes. And in 2020, when that book was written, or at least when this article was written, uh, he owned 48,000 houses by the end of 2016. So uh, think about that. By the end of 2016, 48,000 houses. Then when I'm going to look for a house to rent in Buford in 2022, uh, Every other home that I find is owned by American Homes for Rent. But they do, they don't write out F-O-R. They just put the letter for. Aren't they, are they not passing that savings on? <laughs> Why else would you decide on that title? I mean, by the state of their homes, uh, they're passing it on in just a, a non-need to repair anything in the house. That's right. And again, um, it's a smaller example, um, but I would be interested to trace the ownership and stakeholders in this company, Excalibur Homes. If you look them up, they have divisions elsewhere in the country, for sure. And uh, just about, it's, it's very easy to, if you're looking for a rental property here in Atlanta, for one of them to be owned by Excalibur Homes. Um, and it's to your point, Matt, like they're really just kind of letting them deteriorate uh, until it's time to do something else with them. And that's the case with a lot of rental properties because unlike the flipper that you mentioned, it's a much cheaper proposition to pay cash for a house, deprive someone who maybe was going to put some love and attention and care into it and just collect rent on it indefinitely um, until it's in such a state that a coat of paint and a few you know replaced fixtures isn't going to do the trick anymore. And then you have to go to kind of phase two, which would either be tearing it down and building up a McMansion of some kind, which there's tons of those around here as well in these neighborhoods where there's these like, you know, shotgun houses on one street and then these gaudy McMansions on the next. Uh, it's all kind of willy-nilly here. It's very interesting to, to, to witness, you know, in real time. Well, and it, it makes a lot of sense, at least 
to me, and I kind of agree with a lot of the critics that are out there who blame that the federal incentive that you talked about, Ben, after the foreclosure uh, crisis, right? This incentive to allow corporations to, to just gobble up all of this land and all of these homes. But another problem is local regulation, like state or and lack local thereof. Exactly. Or lack thereof. Right. Yeah. I mean, I love, I, I love our city um, so much. I should have worn some of my Atlanta swag today. Instead, I'm rocking a stuff to blow your mind shirt. I know I've been wearing this a lot, guys. I have five of these shirts. I just keep hmm. changing them out. Uh, it's cool. I feel like the multiple man from Marvel Comics, <laughs> but if you remember. But anyway, you guys are absolutely right. This is a transformative time and not necessarily in a good way. And man, I have like three feelings a year and I spent one on this, this story. There's stuff we can't get to yet, but we're not just being, we're not being self-absorbed talking about Atlanta. It is not just an example of what's happening and what will start to happen in more places. I argue it is a harbinger. It is a prototype. Like you said, Matt, people are uh, rightly blame, tracing it back to that earlier federal incentive, which again traces back to the 2007-2008 crisis and the lack of local res regulations in many places. This issue became so dangerous. People were so worried about what's on the horizon that earlier this year, 2022, uh, Georgia House representatives started a committee to study actual regulations. Do you know how weird it is for the state of Georgia to say, hey, we might need some regulations? This is the same state that said, I don't know if you need a license for a gun, you know, just like do a vibe check. <laughs> and even, even, that, even that government, that state government, which is, you know, historically been opposed to lots of regulations, especially if they were seen as impacting businesses, they said something has to be done. So what is this indicative of? Well, it's indicative of a problem. And one of the best things about this show, in my mind, is that we don't, we don't spend a lot of time talking um, just about our experiences. We only we bring stuff that is impactful to you and we want you to know this is hitting home not just for people in our fair metropolis but for people across the country we're going to pause for a word from our sponsors and we're going to return and talk more about at least experiences in atlanta and unfortunately i guarantee you for some of us in the audience today you're going to have deja vu because something like this has happened to you. As a matter of fact, we're going to make this a two-parter. Anyway, let's pause for the sponsor break. We'll be back, going back to Atlanta. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. 
Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. And we've returned. Welcome to Atlanta, where the investment banks play. And the hedge funds raise rent every day. Ho-ho! Just, nah, uh, Sir. Uh, excellent work. Uh, that's excellent what we'd say. Uh, I doff my, my cap to you, sir. Oh, uh, that's what we'd be saying if I were uh, Excalibur or if I were Homes for Rent. Oh, excuse me. American, American Homes for Rent. American, sir? Wow. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff we can pull from this. I mean, you know, Noel, you had... You had recently purchased a house and you had uh, an experience that you have been talking to us about both off and on air. And Matt, you have dug into uh, some of the news about other proxies that these financial entities are using, right? Like, Yeah, every, but, yeah, yeah, but I yeah. can give you firsthand experience on specific companies that, are, that we've already mentioned today that, uh, and other ones. Because uh, I just went through the process of looking for a house to rent in North Georgia, let's say North suburban Atlanta, Georgia. It's not. Is it the suburbs? I guess it's the suburbs. Mm-hmm. The suburbs. Yeah, the suburbs. It's what we affectionately refer to as OTP uh, outside the perimeter, which I think technically becomes oh. a suburb, a bedroom community. You know, I thought that meant on the peen. Yeah, well, that, that, oh. it means whatever you want it to mean. <laughs> Well, I have to follow up with some folks on my Twitter. Sorry about that. 
I thought you were moving on the Okay. No, that makes much more sense. That's a much more reasonable acronym. But uh but yeah, you are we know this has to be a two-parter because this is hitting home and this is not again, can't emphasize this enough. This is not just us talking about ourselves. This is something that is on the way to you folks and and we can prove this case. Uh a lot of people like we talked about, a lot of people in Atlanta and other parts of the country thought maybe not to profit off human misery. Maybe this will be the time I can finally afford a house. I can get a piece of that American dream. But even as the pandemic became normalized, even as um, more people are going back to work, more people are going out and doing stuff and traveling, the problem with getting a house if you are not an investment company just got worse. Right. And, and Matt, you said you had a uh, personal experience that you could add on this. And I want to I want to do an experiment uh, with you as well here, Noel. Tell your stories and let's see how many people have very similar experiences. I'm interested. Well, I can tell you a lot of people are going to have similar experiences because I looked up all the reviews for these specific companies and I'll tell you which ones they were. Invitation Homes that you mentioned, Ben, uh, American Homes the number four rent and <laughs> another one progress residential. I didn't look up anything. What was your, what was yours called? No Excalibur homes, but the reviews for mine were also absolutely abysmal. But at this point I already signed the lease and I was like, Oh, well, I guess this is my life for the next couple of years. Well, here, here this is what I want to describe to you. I read the reviews. I went to progress residential thinking, okay, I have to get a place I have specific things going on in my life where I need to buy a, I need to live in a specific area where my son is and I had to get a house. So I just looked and looked and looked and I kept not getting approved because somebody got there before me because there's such a shortage of inventory, which is one of the main themes of this episode, a shortage of homes that are available both for rent and for sale, at least as I'm looking through it over the course of about half a year. And I finally sign up and I get an application in with this company and it's looking good. And then I read the fine print and I did the same thing with American homes for rent. You read the fine print on what your lease would actually entail because it's already crazy expensive for, you know, to rent a home. Like it's way too expensive. I, I, I can't give you a specific percentage. It's just, if you were paying a mortgage on these homes, that I was looking at renting, it would be, we are talking hundreds and hundreds of dollars less a month if you actually had a mortgage on these homes. On top of it, you're going to pay the bills for all the utilities, but the company takes all of those bills and then just gives you a bulk sum every time you pay a monthly rent. And you're not going to, it's a black box. You're not going to get to see into it. And I just had to I had to walk away from all of these places, all of these companies, because they all do the same thing. And they know that you, as the person applying for rent, who needs to rent one of these homes and live in a specific place, you just have to go along with it because there's nothing you can do about it. What are you going to do? You know what I mean? Buy Sue me for saying it on a <laughs> podcast. No, this is all. I mean, it's true, dude. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is all provable. And it's also a, uh, you know, again, you could say it's part of, uh, how how the sausage is made. And at this point, it's important to note, these companies are not doing anything illegal. 
They are, no. yeah, they are doing letter of the law. Um, and we're going to see how this conversation changes over time. Um, I'm quite excited also, guys, for uh, part two of what's become a series now. I think we're all we're all pretty invested in this. Oof, I'm choosing the worst words today. So we're going to, in a future episode, look at how this targeting works, what the targeting is. And we're going to ask not just whether this is a problem today, but what it means for the future. Because again, the people being affected by this right now are not the folks who are maybe retiring and buying a retirement home. They're not the folks necessarily who are um, getting a vacation house off of the two rental properties that they already have, not counting their actual domicile. Uh, we're talking about the people who are chasing that so-called American dream, the folks who want to have their first house, right? In a good school district, right? Because, you know, you've been having the conversation with your partner, you might have kids, right? Or uh, there's a great program that would be perfect for your little tyke, your kiddo. But how can you compete? I can't afford a house in a good school district. It's, I mean, it's like that's that's a bridge too far, you know. Um, it's just nearly impossible to b both have a house that is affordable, you know, to mere mortals and also be in a good school district. So you kind of then end up depending on either charter schools or magnet schools or private schools, which is a whole other thing into, into itself. Well, there's no guarantee to a good education in this country. No. Again, pursuit of happiness. Do your best. Hold my beer, says America. Watch this. But, uh, <laughs> but, but so... Guys, guys, can I leave Can I leave you with something at this Atlanta specific? It's something yeah. I want to see if you guys have heard of before. Okay. Have you heard of Super Tuesday in Atlanta with regards to the housing market? Yes, I have. And it's screwed up. Yeah, it's a thing. I remember that. It's a thing. Yeah. In, in Atlanta. And there's there's a group of people who meet at a Sheridan hotel in Atlanta. And it's been happening since the thing we you talked about, Ben, the foreclosure crisis where co corporations can buy up homes. And they just bid on mm -hmm. homes. Yeah. And, and regular people like us could go. But ultimately, and what it's turned into, the hedge funds just go, or they send, you know, a couple of people, like, let's call them lackeys. Now, you, there's probably someone out there who works for a hedge fund who buys homes who's a great person. It's just your job. But somebody goes out there and just bids a dollar more mm -hmm. yeah, than price anybody right else at, every time. Call them hedge fundamentalists. Mm -hmm. There we go. Uh, <laughs> so, like, they... they Travel fighting what they see as the good fight. Well, we'll talk about the advantages there. But Super Tuesday is a thing. And in 07, 08, uh, here, as in many other cities, you could go out to literally the courthouse steps and there would be people auctioning off foreclosed homes. And individuals bought a lot, and so did banks, and so did other financial institutions that don't obey the same regulations banks do. They just get the advantages of being a bank. And those those type of folks, uh, members of those organizations, or even individuals, would say, "And why wouldn't I do that?" Right. It's it's how the system is designed. It is my God given right as a savvy business person who pays my taxes and takes care of my stuff to be able to do this. And it's not fair of you to cast me as some kind of villain, as though I'm benefiting from the misery of others. That's not fair. Whoa, paying taxes? What are you, poor? 
get out. Get out of the Sheridan. Well, fair. <laughs> but that's the same thing there too, Ben. When someone like a super rich person like, you know, Donald Trump or Warren Buffett or whatever, you know, we know that they don't pay taxes, but it's not illegal. Again, it's the system. The system is not designed to benefit regular people. It's deeper than skin. It's the system that they're keeping us in. Yes, Dead Prez was right about that part. Oh. But but this, I mean, there's another thing here. Um, I also want to close with this. We have so much more to talk about. Hopefully we can make it just a two-parter, but we'll see. Uh, we, we should point out that um, we're going to talk about structural advantages in part two. And this is a huge part of what could be called a conspiracy or could just be called good business. Uh, one thing that I think it's really important to remember is that these larger organizations that you as a first time homeowner are going up against, they have a much longer horizon of time. Their window of profit or the wind by which I mean the interval of time over which they need to turn a profit is much, much longer than the average person's will ever be. That's why institutions like the Crown in the United Kingdom or the Vatican in Rome, that's why they can buy so much land. They can lose money on it for literally hundreds of years, if need be. And you, unfortunately, cannot. You know, uh, this, this ability to run that loss, you know, that is, that is a huge factor. And I wish more people talked about it. I think we, uh, the spirit moves both of you. What's I up? just wanted that to be the end of the episode <laughs> and you unfortunately cannot. Well, that's been the show. Maybe, maybe we wrap even with just a glimmer of, of hope. And I just want to just describe my situation very briefly. Um, I was incredibly lucky in that I, you know, was able to get a realtor who is a family friend who took me to look at six places on the very first day that we looked at places. I was literally just going to dip my toe and just see some properties. And I just found this place that I absolutely loved fully knowing the struggle that many of our friends and people in our peer group have had, you know, looking at six, seven different homes, uh, bidding on six, seven different homes, getting constantly outbid by these cash offers from these corporations. I was fully expecting that myself, but for whatever reason, maybe even because of my own kind of slackness in some way, I looked at this place. I, I caught it literally on the last second and I was kind of able to swoop in and scoop the deal. And for whatever reason, the other bidders were human people, not uh, you know, corporations. And, and I was able to, all I had to do was wave something called an appraisal gap. We hear today people waving inspections, you know, um, paying incredibly exorbitant amounts over asking price. Um, all I had to do was wave the appraisal gap, which means that, you know, if, if you have an appraisal gap clause, then you have to, then whoever the seller is, will you won't pay any more than a certain amount over what the home is appraised at. So that was, I, that was my rolling of the dice and it, and it was enough and I, and I got it and I'm very, very happy, but I was so lucky. I know that. And I know that this is very, very unusual in this market. So I, I couldn't be more happy, but also it's just so not the way it's going for most people. And so it's a success story, but also an anomaly. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm happy for you as well. I'm thinking about the millions of people listening to this show right now who need to hear that they are not crazy. You didn't do anything wrong, oh. you know, and this is what like this Absolutely show is not, not about us. It's about you folks listening. And that's why it's important for us to hear your stories. Uh, went on Twitter and asked for stories. I, I don't check this stuff while we're recording, but can't wait to see what is on your mind uh, and what 
do you think can be done? Now, when we get to part two, again, we are going to be exploring the systemic inequalities, which I think could qualify as conspiracy. We're going to explore another part of this story that's not being widely interrogated. And we're going to talk a little bit about structural integrity, and then we'll end with the future, uh, whatever the future might be. In the meantime, we need your help. So we're we're going to pause recording today. And while we're paused, uh, we want to hear from you. Uh, find us. We'll ask about this on social media, on our Facebook page. Here's where it gets crazy. We'll ask about it on Twitter and so on. Let us know your experiences. Do you feel that you have encountered the same things or similar things that Matt and Noel have encountered? What are your, you know what it is? What are your home buying war stories? And have you run into some of these entities that we have described? Or do you work for those entities? And if so, uh, what is another viewpoint that you feel your fellow conspiracy realists should encounter? Um, can't wait to hear from you. Uh, if you don't like social media, we've got a phone number as well. Boy, do we ever. It's one eight three three stdwytk Leave a message at the sound of Ben's dulcet tones, and you will have three minutes to leave your missive, your message, your story, your tale, or a question. Do your best to keep within that three minutes. And if you need more than that three minutes, we'll provide you. Uh, and you'd like to send us a, a letter, um, a, a compendium of, of sources and links, or you know whatever it might be. Well, there's a great way to go about that as well. You can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.